You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Toronto Sport Matters podcast number 34 and with me as always to my left Greg the sport doctor the Cypriot assassin himself here shot us what's up to that to my right Christian Wolfgang Graffin guys how you doing today I can't complain I think we've had a great day so far haven't stopped smiling so just let our listeners know we will be uh previewing the first part of our Jack Armstrong interview, which we did this morning, later on the podcast. I just want to have a little bit of an anecdotal sort of discussion right now. On my way to meet Jack this morning, I was at an intersection, I was about to cross the road, and I could see this car by my side, like right beside me basically on the road, looking to make a right-hand turn, and like just being the asshole I am, I was like, no, I'm going ahead of this guy, pedestrians first, I can go to hell, and like as I cross the street, the guy is gunning it and almost hits me with his car, and the man had the audacity to start screaming at me like I was at fault. So I don't know what happened. I may have been a little irrational, but my automatic instinct was just to hurl my coffee at his car. Did you? And I unfortunately, a little speck of coffee went inside his car, and I feel absolutely terrible about it. So I, I guess I want to apologize Wait, to the guy coffee? that I hurled the coffee at. I hit his car a little bit, a little bit grazed <laughs> the interior, but beyond from that, I felt like a horrendous human being. I'm glad I'm an asshole. Why? <laughs> hey, cities are made for people, not cars. He's, it's cold outside. He could sit and wait while you, you know, he's sitting in a, in a heated seat. Like literally half a second of a delay to your drive to work. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't Jack. <laughs> Watch it be Leo. <laughs> All right, guys, getting back to the discussion at hand. Uh, big win last night against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Do a little recap of this week. We uh, we lost to the Jazz. Christian was actually at that game. It was the first night of Welcome Toronto, Greg, Drake's little project. Yeah, I was there. Toronto Drake wasn't. Basketball. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. But you know who was sitting in his seat was a young lady that I work with at the community center in St. Jamestown, Regent Park area. And I was here, you know, kind of bashing this thing as a marketing gimmick, whatever. But you know what? If, if you know, and I haven't seen the girl since. I, I work with her on Fridays. But if they can be providing those kids with opportunities to sit courtside, hey, it's a good initiative there. Suffice to say, Greg is developing a little bit of love and respect toward uh, toward Aubrey. Drake. I'm, I'm coming around. He's coming around. And a, guess, impressive win against the LA Lakers. More impressive was Fred Van Vliet off the bench. 25 points in 20 minutes. Guys, what are your big takeaways this week? Three games played for the Toronto Raptors. Two wins, one loss. So I'll go first just because, you know, I'll go over the game against the Jazz. Uh, a game that I was at, like I mentioned, Drake was not. Uh, it was one of the games where Kyle Lowry and the entire bench was sort of non-existent, and Jonas Valanciunas ended up being our best player by far, which we've started to see a little bit lately from him. Yeah, uh, He had, I think, 28 and 14 that game. Yeah, um, but the one thing being there, being in the crowd, I guess, is I guess a lot of people did not know about Donovan Mitchell, surprisingly, and he opened up a lot 
of Eisner. Now, yeah, now they know about Mitchell. Now they know about him. There were people all around me who were saying, who is Mitchell or D. Mitchell? And by the end of the game, I think he had 20 of his 26 points in the Third. second half of it. Mm. So he really, and of course, they ended up double teaming him on the final shot, which got Ricky Rubio open. So... Again, those are some small takeaways there. I have no problem with giving Ricky Rubio that shot. It was somewhat contested by Lowry, kind of. He's a 31% career three-point shooter, and this season he's shooting below that. He's shooting 30%. I have no problem with that. He's an NBA guard. You can't give an NBA guard an open three-pointer. I would give Rubio or Rondo or... You know, anyone other than than a real Andre shooter. Roberson. It wasn't, yeah, Andre hold Roberson. On, hold on, hold on. It, it wasn't like um, Mitchell had his guy beat. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like Lowry was coming over to help. He was. They were coming over, I guess, explicitly to get the ball out of his hands. But like, what's the worst? Okay, if he drives and he gets, has a pull up two, the game is tied. If you allow an no, open we were three, only up by one. Sorry, on a side note, one of my oh, favorite yeah, things right. about this season is like the the like I guess the, the 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 brand shift of Ricky Rubio. Like he looks like a bad guy in like a Liam Neeson movie right now. I like his tattoo. I thought like the villain sort of like stubble Ricky Rubio would turn a coin this year. I just had a little bit of hope, but no, it's been the same old. Uh, Sort of uh, pass first, non-shooter Ricky Rubio kind of grown accustomed to Well, he shot that time. And what I think they tried to do there is I think they tried to get DeMar DeRozan to take Donovan Mitchell's three-point shot away so that he would drive. And that's where Lowry was coming over to help, and I think he was looking to take a charge. It just, he passed it off way too quick, and Ricky Rubio ended up being perfectly wide open, and he hit a shot that he doesn't use. They didn't need to take a three. He could have, you know, drove it in, maybe gone for the free throws, but Ricky Rubio with four seconds left hits a three. I, I what can you do? I think you can leave NBA starting caliber guards open to end the game and expect, like, okay, so he shoots 30%, but what are his percentages when he's wide open? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're playing with, with, with fire when you're doing that. Like, you know, Mitchell, make him then earn it. Make him beat DeRozan off the dribble. And, and, and give the help after. But he hadn't even penetrated, and they already shifted over. I think Lowry jumped the gun. See, it, for me, they went on a 12-2 run before, or with that shot included. For me, it's all that, those, you know, those nine points before that. Yeah, it that wasn't I even had a about that. You're right. It exactly. wasn't even about that. It's not that. the last play. Yeah. It's the last sequence of plays well, you know, that like, kind of screwed the Raptors over. Yeah, but what yeah. did you see at the Lakers game that sort of was different? The Lakers, um, they're, they're not really... A team that I expect. I, I mean, you know, it's not who you play; it's when you play them, right? A la Jack, and they were coming in hot, but from a from a, a, a talent perspective, from a proven winning perspective, that's a game that you know you're in the hunt for the East. Uh, uh, you know, number one spot. You can't be losing that game. Yeah, we should be beating. We should. Be yeah, beating you're right. So the, the Lakers the, at home. The more important win was no doubt last night against the T Wolves. And can I just say, Jonas Valanciunas, I knew he had it in him. I've been sticking up for the guy for years. And to see him come, now he's playing like an all-star. Well, to be fair, Carl Anthony Pounds isn't like a pillar of stability at the, on defense, you know. So Valanciunas, I guess, did exploit that matchup. JV outplays, like I've seen him outplay almost every big man in the league now when he plays them one-on-one, like a traditional center matchup. And now even against the smaller guys, he's been able to just get himself in there and bully. Like there was a couple of plays where he just straight up physically dominated. Like like his his offensive rebounding has been, even his defense, I know he has trouble with those, with the 1-5 pick and roll. He's getting better. He really is. His reads are better. He's blocking more shots. But, I mean, offensively, they're giving him the ball. They're sharing it, and JV's the one that's benefiting from the sharing the most. And they need that. They need another guy to step up. I'd rather have him sometimes create his own shot versus Ibaka. 
Well, Carl Anthony Towns, I think, only had four shot attempts in the first, you know, half of the Ibaka game. Ibaka guarded him very well. Guarded him well. And again, if you can take away Carl Anthony Towns and force them to be a jump shooting team, Minnesota, yeah. on their third game in four nights. I mean, honestly, the only thing I think is we should have won a, a little bit easier than that. We shouldn't shouldn't even they been that really close. They really came out and blitzed us. Um, and look, they, I mean, they were just sinking their shots. And I mean, like and like Dwayne Casey does. If you watch Dwayne Casey, I've watched him coach now for years. His teams always come out in the second half with a renewed defensive focus and a game plan. So it usually takes them about a few quarters to kind of pick up what the other team is doing. And, you know, once they sort of sniffed out those mid-range jump shots that they were hitting, they really disrupted what the Timberwolves are doing. And, of course, mm-hmm. fatigue was definitely a part of it from the part of the T-Wolves. But that's why you don't play your starters. Like, uh, Tip Tibbs played his starters big minutes the night before in Atlanta. So we were able to just run them out of the building. Mm-hmm. And lastly, yes, Fred Van Vliet, my God. You can't say enough about it. What a great story! The guy, the guy's big. Like he's hitting big time shots. Yeah, it's fantastic. As I mentioned earlier on the podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down with Raptors play-by-play announcer Jack Armstrong. The privilege. The privilege of sitting down with Jack Armstrong. Uh, we're going to separate into two clips. Uh, the first clip we're going to play is Greg talking about sort of his mentality when it comes to coaching as a leader and also being you know part of the, the Toronto culture of basketball. What an honor. And we'll play the second half next week where Graphic sort of divulges into Toronto Raptors specific questions. Um, here's the uh, first half of the interview. Here's Jack. Alrighty, I am uh, sitting here on a cold, snowy, frigid, uh, I guess Wednesday morning in Toronto at a secret location with the man, <laughs> the myth, the legend, the pride of Brooklyn, and the winner of the 2018 Canadian Screen Award for Best Sport Analyst, Jack Armstrong. Jack, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you very much. It's an, it's an honor to be here with you guys. And uh, this is a secret location. Wow, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> A secret location. We're at a, an unspecified lobby under a uh, flight of stairs like trolls or something. So yes, it's we're doing okay. But, uh, no, I'm glad to be here uh, this morning with you guys and uh, look forward to chatting some ball. And um, whatever you'd like to chat about, I'm, I'm open for it and excited to be here. And uh, thanks for having me on. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jack. So it's a three-panel discussion. I'm going to start off with myself. So, Jack, one of the reasons why we have so much admiration and respect for you is that you aren't afraid to speak your mind, specifically your comments before Christmas regarding the Raptors not playing on Christmas Day. That comment specifically ties into our motivation as to why we started this podcast, sort of frustration with how mainstream American sport media covers our team, hence why we named our show Toronto Sport Matters. Now we can all remember the American attention paid to the franchise when Vince Carter was here, but despite more team success, this group seems to get less publicity and respect by the so-called basketball experts working for the big media companies. Could you maybe explain to our listeners your thoughts on why a 50-win team for four consecutive seasons remains so absent in the American basketball broadcast? Well, I I think, number one, um, I think if you look at the economics of the situation, uh, a nine-year, $24 billion U.S. TV deal uh, from Turner and uh, Disney, obviously ESPN, ABC, um, they're tied into the U.S. Nielsen ratings. And Toronto, even though it's the third largest market in uh, pro sports, uh, doesn't register on the Nielsen ratings. So to them, uh, doesn't make economic sense uh, to put a Toronto team on uh, unless they have a superstar, a.k.a. Vince Carter. When he was here, we were on quite a bit. Um, because uh, what happens is, is you're, you're kind of boxing out one of your markets. 
Whereas even if you have a Houston and a Milwaukee on a game, uh, you still have two top 20 U.S. markets on, and then you have the entire country. Um, you know, so I, I think some of it is based upon purely economics and the Nielsen ratings. They'll never say that, but that's my theory on it. Um, I don't think it's like anti-Canadian. I don't think it's anti-Toronto. Uh, I, I just think it's more of, of a fact that uh, sometimes it, it's based upon um, where the other 29 teams are. And I, I do think uh, it's important for the Raptor organization uh, to be a little bit more aggressive uh, in promoting itself. Uh, I think they have to, uh, I think Toronto uh, as an organization has to do more to promote uh, their message. I think they also have to challenge the league and challenge the networks that here we are. And then uh, two other things. I said, uh, you know, th- when it came time to really have playoff success, with the exception of the one year going to the Eastern Conference Finals, this team's kind of had its issues. So I think this some of it is a show me mentality, and and I guess the last component would be uh, just that uh, right now it, it's just to me I, I think the Raptors. Uh, have to just kind of get over that hurdle of you got to win and win significantly. And I, I think people realize this is a great market. I think if you ask any coach, any player, any executive, any broadcaster, any media person in the league, uh, I think resoundingly they would say this is one of the great NBA markets in the league. Um, but for some reason, there is a disconnect sometimes in terms of the powers that be that that maybe set the agenda, uh, in particular, it may be at an ESPN. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. So, Jack, you know, I started, I was watching Raptors from the age of, I guess we were eight, seven when the team came out. You came on a few years after that. Yeah, I've been here 20. Right? So, right? And we're, yeah, we're 88s, right? We're young guys. <laughs> we're, you, we're young guys. You're a young guy too. Um, now, Something that I wanted to ask you about, I couldn't resist asking about coaching. So I coach inner city, uh, I coach soccer, basketball as well. I've learned a lot from actually listening to you and the way that you... uh, I first wanted to get, though, a little bit of background on your coaching experiences that have helped shape you. Because I know our listeners just see you maybe as a commentator, but you have this great coaching resume that sort of... uh, you know, helped you, I guess, develop into the, co- the commentator that you are. Could you just talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, I mean, that's my life, actually. Uh, you know, my life has been sports. Uh, I can't thank that orange ball enough. I mean, I've been <laughs> able to make, I've made my living based upon yeah. that orange ball, you yeah. know. So I've had two careers. Mm-hmm. I've had a, a coaching career and now a broadcasting career because of that ball. So to me, I, I, I look at the coaching. You know, you mentioned soccer. My wife was a Division One women's soccer coach. That's where we met at Niagara University when I was the head coach there. So uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, you know, this is a different life for me now. Uh, when I was coaching, I was a dramatically different uh, personality. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was still fun, but I was a lot more intense, a lot of times tense sometimes angry uh, and uh, I don't have to be that now uh, mm. it's, a, it's a lot more fun and jovial and entertaining uh, but it's a, it's a hard life and it's a fun life uh, but to me it was funny I had a great conversation last night you mentioned coaching 
uh, with Scott Layton, who's the uh, general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scott's father is one of my mentors, and his name's Frank Layden, who's the former president, GM, head coach of the Utah Jazz, NBA coach of the year, drafted Carl Malone and John Stockton. Uh, Jerry Sloan was his assistant. When Frank retired, Jerry replaced him. And uh, Scott and I had a long discussion about coaching last night. We were chatting about Greg Popovich. Mm-hmm. And Scott, prior to being, uh, he was the GM of the Knicks, he was the GM of the Jazz, then he was the assistant GM of the Spurs. Mm-hmm. We had a long chat about Popovich and Bill Belichick and guys like that. The greats. And uh, we were chatting about coaching today. And the, the one word, the, the one saying that I used, and he hadn't heard it before, but I, I think it said a lot about what makes Popovich great. Uh, I was at a coaching clinic many years ago, uh, and we're, I'm sitting with John Beeline, the head coach of University of Michigan now, who at the time was the head coach of Canisius. And we're sitting there and a guy says, look, your jobs are changing dramatically as you sit here. Uh, Your job is no longer as much about the tactics. That stuff's easy. Like, it's getting the guys to the gym that's the hard part. It's getting the kids on the ice or getting them on the field. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. We're social workers. And you got to develop a relationship with people. And he used a great line that still resonates with me today, and it still resonates with me as a father. And that is, rules without relationships equal rebellion. Mm. And if you're going to be really good as a coach in in any sport, the NHL, the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, whatever, uh, you've got to develop a partnership with your top guys. Uh, You know, the the idea of Vince Lombardi and, and... and getting after guys and all that. I mean, you could be tough. You still absolutely have to be demanding mm-hmm. and you got to be tough. But you got to create create that bond with your players now. You got to really communicate. You got to sell them. Mm-hmm. You got to give them your vision. And I think if you look at the Raptors this year, I think Dwayne Casey's done an excellent job of creating a vision uh, and getting his top two players to buy into it and to allow this team to trust each other uh, with a lot of young guys playing. And uh, it's really come together. So uh, so I guess the thing I keep learning, uh, it, it, you know, being out of coaching now for 20 years mm-hmm. and yet being around it intimately on a day-to-day basis is that the best coaches at any level in any sport are the best communicators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to know tactics. You got to be able to teach it. Uh, you got to have credibility in terms of walking in the room or in a timeout under duress tie game five seconds on the clock Mm -hmm. and drawing up a play you got to have all those skills but more importantly than any of that you got to be able to sell it and i got to look you in the eye and you got to look me in the eye and you got to believe in me and you got to trust me yeah and uh and you got to be willing it's like it's the same in the military yep you know, if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna run up that hill and you're gonna follow me, or you're gonna run next to me, uh, there's got to be that belief and there's got to be that connection, mm-hmm. that brotherhood. And and to me, I think that's something right now that is is super important and that jumps out of me a lot. Uh, if pe- people ask me, you know, what's a, a bit of coaching advice I could have? I, it would be that that rules without relationships equal rebellion. And you gotta work that much harder as a coach today, above and beyond the tactical side of it. Yeah. You've gotta work that much harder 
at developing a skill set that really uh, says a lot about uh, you know relationships. I, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm, I'm a youth worker, and that's where I train a lot of the kids. And the best relationships that I have socially have turned into some of the best on-field results. Because you're going to have conflict. Yeah. This is a, yes. our business. Yes. Is, yes. Uh, the, the, the coaching business, whatever. It's a business of conflict, yeah. uh, significant conflict. And uh, there's going to be challenges sometimes. There's going to be heart-to-heart discussions. There's going to be a difficult situations sometimes that you have to work through, uh, that you have to work out. And I think if, if people have a degree of trust in you trust, yes. and, and belief in you uh, that, you know, you'll, you'll kind of get through those rough patches. Uh, but you, but you got to be able to connect on a daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, because there's, there's a quote, because, you know, you have these great... Of these great one-liners, eh? Um, some of you said when great coaches tell the players what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. But I feel like the only way that you can actually do that is if the player really trusts where you're coming from and knows that you're coming from a good place. Well, what do we say on the street? That you're being real, yeah, right? Exactly, and, exactly. And, and you're, you're, give, you're giving me the goods. You're giving me real. And how do you give it real? You give it real by, on a daily basis, showing you care, touching them every day and, and showing that uh, there's a personal connection uh, that you're not this distant authoritarian figure mm-hmm. that they can't really uh, relate to, mm-hmm. that you're in the trenches with them, and there's a respect level there. And to me, I think that's an important thing that uh, because you've got to tell guys what they need to hear. Yeah. We're, we're not in the game of make-believe. Yeah. You yeah. know, this isn't fantasy. This is the real deal. Like, hey... We need to get this accomplished today. Mm-hmm. And the only way we're going to get this accomplished is that we deal with the reality of the situation. Yeah. So let's get down to business here. And again, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes uh, facts are cold and cold-blooded and hard. But nonetheless, you got you to find a way to come to grips with those realities. Yeah, and and what you're describing, I think, just tying it back to Greg Popovich, I think he's been said to be one of the best at kind of looking the player in the eye, telling it like it is, but still having that relationship with them. You know, I'll share something with you, I think that defines what makes Greg Popovich a great coach. Uh, and I'm not betraying any trust whatsoever. Uh, when uh, last Friday night, the Raptors played the Spurs, yeah. and... and uh, actually, both teams, the Raptors were flying to Minnesota for a game. San Antonio was flying back to San Antonio for a home game that Sunday. And we both happened to be clearing customs at the same time. <laughs> so literally, I'm, I'm putting my bag through security. Who's ahead of me? Greg Popovich. So yeah. I'm chatting with him online. And we're just, and you know, we're all kind of online together. Yeah. But so and then he goes through, uh, gets his passport stamped, uh, you know, and then he's, you know, he's a little bit ahead of me. And Tony Parker comes through. But here's the thing. I'm walking to my gate, and I'm chatting with one of the Spurs assistants. And he's walking 15 feet ahead of me with Tony Parker. And they have their arms around each other. And they're walking to the gate. Now, I don't know if you know, but, like, literally 10 days later, Tony Parker, for for the first time, was removed from the starting lineup. Off the bench. I mean, here's a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And they're walking arm in arm together to the gate just chatting and talking about things Hmm. to me why I think the essence of why is why has Greg Popovich been so successful 
he creates a partnership with his top guys and he coaches the team through them mm-hmm. and they have such trust in him as a man and uh, he has such trust and belief in his players as men that uh, they work through whatever issues exist yeah. and uh, and it was funny I, and I go back to my conversation with Scott Layden last night because Scott was the assistant GM in San Antonio and he's like you nailed it mm. he goes you nailed it now not not every coach is Greg Popovich uh, you know Mike Babcock has a different yeah, style oh, oh, yeah. Bill Belichick yeah. has a different style Mike Tomlin has a different style Mike Sosha mm-hmm. has a different style and I'm naming all different coaches in all different teams yeah, different sports. in different sports we all have different styles but you got to coach to your strength to your personality Amazing. Um, just just to wrap up the the coach, just to wrap up the the coaching section and link it into the Raptors talk. Dwayne Casey, um, you know, o- over the years in Toronto, you listen to enough sport radio. Not everybody, you know, was on board. And I mean, maybe those people, maybe their opinion doesn't count for much in the in the in the basketball world. But the Raptors have stuck with him. Uh, I see him as. I mean, I wanted to ask you, Coach of the Year candidate? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously a lot will depend on how things play out as we go along here. Uh, But I I would say right now, when you look at the top coaching jobs in the league, uh, I would put him right at the top of the list. You know, I would put him, uh, Brad Stevens, Eric Spolstra, uh, in the Eastern Conference right now, those would be a few guys that jump out at mm-hmm. me. I also think Nate McMillan in Indiana. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think those would be, and then and then out west, uh, I, I thought Alvin Gentry had done a great job in New Orleans. I feel so bad what happened with Demarcus Cousins. Uh, I think Mike D'Antoni, you know, you, and obviously he had a great player in Chris Paul, but a lot of people yes. were skeptical how that was going to work out. Uh, he's done a, a fabulous job there. Um, I think Greg Popovich, in, in terms of what, what's happened in, uh, in San Antonio with all the injuries and, and, still, and, and where here they are without Kawhi Leonard, uh, is remarkable. So I think those would be a few, and I know I'm missing a few. People ask me all the time, what's the thing that jumps out at you about Dwayne Casey? Yeah. And I think the thing that jumps out at me the most, and it's a very uh, simple thing, uh, yet it's very important in life. He's super consistent. Like, he's the same guy every day. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. And he is the same guy every day. Uh, There is not a whole lot of volatility. Uh, He is consistent. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think that's important. When you deal with somebody every day and they're a rock. Yeah, yeah. And they're a rock versus... Uh-huh, up uh-huh. and down, up and down, the stock market, yeah. uh, that volatile Dow Joneser, as we call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's important. So there's not a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's coming at you the same way every day. Now, he's going to change his voice level sometimes. And, uh, you know, there are certain days more than others. He's going to uh, have different points of emphasis and things like that. But yeah. ultimately, the core of the man mm-hmm. and the core of his substance is, is, is one of consistency and one of substance. In a world of flash and dash and style mm-hmm. and pizzazz in a league that is way too hype-oriented, 
Uh, he's a meat and potatoes guy, and he's a very substantial person uh, with a lot of uh, just good, solid roots mm-hmm. and fundamental beliefs. And when you're going to turn something around and then turn it around and be that consistent, steady, eddy kind of guy, that builder. The builder. That's that's something that you reference a lot. The builder. I think you need that. You know, the creep, crawl, walk, run. Yes. Uh, He's he's got a great approach and a great outlook. And uh, through the, you know, the twists and turns and the sky is falling and, and people that are you know that say hey he's a great coach but mm-hmm. uh all that stuff what's said about bud is what it, after bud is what matters not before mm-hmm. uh and people are killing you all the time uh he maintains his he maintains his cool he maintains his calm and he's he that's a sign of a, a real true leader uh just just quickly before i pass the mic over and how much of that credit do you also give to Masai for for not being so quick I mean we just saw Jason Kidd right um, you know not being so quick to to get rid of him after some of the playoff issues saying this is my guy and we're going to stick with him well here's the biggest mistake that happens not only in sports but in life when a new boss takes over immediately that boss goes I want my people here yeah. I want my guy I want mm-hmm. my gal and that's the biggest mistake you can make when you come in, you need to assess everything and not automatically just come in and start firing people left and right. Mm-hmm. You have, because, you know what? When you take over, there are some things that need to be fixed, but not everything mm-hmm. needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Not everything's bad. There's probably reasons why certain things worked. Mm-hmm. There's probably reasons why certain things didn't work. There's sometimes maybe your personality is different than the guy you're succeeding maybe your personality will connect motivate and mm-hmm. lead uh that person that you're 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 currently inheriting yeah and suddenly that person can become your guy yeah and yeah. say you know and i think that's the biggest challenge uh and i think that's one of messiah's greatest strengths is that he's super patient mm. again in a world that is uh, very uh, knee-jerk and impulsive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is someone that is super uh, calculated, calculated yeah. and determined, and yet uh, allows things to breathe. Mm. And I think uh, he's not all caught up in the twenty-four-hour news cycle. Uh, he is—he's uh, just very uh, thinks long-term. And to me, why is this team, why is this organization continue to grow, mature? I mean, they're playing five young guys right now. OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Tremendous. DeLon Wright, uh, Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam. And then, you know, you throw a kid like a Norman Powell, that would be six when he gets an opportunity to play. These guys are all what are they, in their third year, second year, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all relatively young guys. Yeah. And, you know, that's not easy. No. And, you're, and you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to get to the NBA Finals. I mean, that ain't easy. Yeah. To develop while at the same time, Correct. Competing at the highest level. And that's hard. And 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 not with guys other than Jakob Pertl. Uh, the other guys aren't lottery picks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so to me, I, I think that says a lot for. You know, you you, you get some guys. Guys didn't want. 
a few number ones, late number ones, a few twos. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that that says a lot that uh, you have that. So I think that's to me that stands out so much about Masai Ujiri is, is that he's a just a super patient guy and, and someone that really uh, sees things through and is willing to let things breathe. I just want to give a very special thanks to Wayne Parrish, the uh, president of Basketball Canada, Wayne. who has provided us this opportunity to sit down with Jack. Um, That's our guy right there. An incredible opportunity to speak with Jack. Hopefully we'll have Wayne back as well, uh, hopefully in the future. Going into some more topical, um, I guess, news items this week. Uh, Blake Griffin. Topics. After a scorching hot start to the season, the Detroit Pistons have been in a 3-12 tailspin since the loss of starting point guard. Reggie Jackson, in a relatively weak Eastern Conference, the Pistons made one last stab at contention with a massive pre-deadline trade, acquiring five-time All-Star Blake Griffin for a package including Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, and a top-four protected pick in 2019, which becomes an unprotected pick in 2020. For the Clippers, the trade was made purely based on the fact that the organization was concerned about the long-term health of their fir- former first overall pick. Last season, the Clippers re-signed Griffin to a staggering five-year $173 million contract. Supermax, right? Within the last three seasons, Griffin has missed an alarming 83 games. This season, Griffin has missed an additional 16 games, hence why the Clippers felt obligated to trade a more or less deteriorating star for salary cap relief. The question I have for you guys to start off, who do you see as the winner and loser of this trade? And how does Blake Griffin sort of fit on the Pistons alongside you know, Andre Drummond, who many could say is pretty similar skill-wise to DeAndre Jordan. Well, look, to me, I see this trade um, working out for Detroit from a marketing standpoint. They just built that arena. They got to put fans in the seats. It, for, you know, whatever you think about Blake Griffin. Little Caesars Arena. <laughs> yeah, right? Whatever you think about Blake Griffin, though, man, like, he's going to put butts in the seats because he's a highlight film. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a star. He is someone you can market. And maybe, like, for this, you know, the uh, a successful, you know, season in the NBA is relative, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe for Detroit... Maybe going for 50 wins next year. I think it's one last stab to relevance, though, for Stan Van Gundy. I think he's on the hot seat right now, and I think he had only one option to make and make a splash move, similar to what we saw with Brian Colangelo on the Raptors. He knows his job is on the line right now, and he had to do something with the, you know, especially with the recent, you know, three and twelve record without Reggie Jackson. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't see how Blake Griffin makes his team much better. It's similar to where the Pelicans when they brought in Boogie Cousins. The biggest issue with you know the Pelicans, keep in mind they were doing a little bit better this season. Oh, was a that lot, they didn't really a lot ha- better. They didn't really have any depth, especially on the bench and especially at certain positions with Pelicans. It's a three. For the Detroit Pistons, oh, it's yeah. a two. Like, Bullock is going to be their starting yeah. shooting guard. Reggie Jackson still injured. Rut Ish Smith at the point guard position and probably Stanley Johnson so filling at the starting five. I'm just thinking to myself, I don't see that as a championship contending team. Right. I barely see it as a playoff no, team but in that, general. No, it's it's gonna they're, they're going to be a playoff team next year. Uh, they might even sneak in this year if they can get on a run and Griffin plays good, but because of how much they have to pay, they have so much wrapped up in, in, in Drummond and Griffin, they won't be able, I think, to bring in other guys because they're just they're, their hands are tied from a salary cap perspective. But again, for them, I think it's just about being relevant. I don't think that that success for this team right now, like they just want to get people talking about basketball again in Detroit. Well, I think there's a domino effect of this trade. So by trading Blake Griffin, the Clippers have more or less kind of thrown the towel for the 2017-2018 season. You know, as it stands, 
stands. They have only $48.9 million in guaranteed contracts for the next season after trading Griffin. League sources say the Clippers are still pursuing deals involving DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams. And there's obviously, like I mentioned, a domino effect to this trade. Graffin, do you see the Clippers making more moves prior to the deadline? And who do you see leaving and what they can get back in return? Yeah, and I mean, just quickly on the trade, like the Clippers, I think, in my opinion, won this trade easily. I don't, I don't see in any way how the team that the Pistons currently are assembled are even better than the Clippers were before the trade. Well, you got Avery Bradley's expiring contract. Tobias Harris is making a very friendly $16, $17 million this year and next. Not locked into a massive contract. Plus the pick, which could be like a mid sort of like... 13 to 17 selection as well. It's not a bad trade at all. Absolutely. And that's the best case scenario. Like, how many teams in the NBA would be able to bring in a guy like Blake Griffin, regardless of salary cap restraints? Like, you're looking at his injury history. You know, he's a dynamic, athletic basketball player who's not a great rim protector, nor is he a great shooter. A lot of uh, yeah, and especially you've, I'm sure people have heard the story about the pitch they gave Blake Griffin as well. They had his jersey semi-retired in the stands with a choir singing. Yeah, they his did name. this like so like mock sort of like six months ago. Time experience where they like, walked yeah. him back out to the court afterwards. Yeah. They had this like mock retirement jersey ceremony. It doesn't ceremony. look good that they did that so, now. But again, I think the clip uh, again. Jerry West is very very smart basketball mind and I think that when he took control of the Clippers this year one of the first things he said is we are as soon as Chris Paul left pretty much he pretty much decided that they're going to have to blow this team up they got pretty good value they got picks they got young players to go back to your original question no I don't think they're done I think they are going to package probably Bradley Lou Williams, DeAndre Jordan, anyone you gotta, you who's You got to keep in mind, though, Bradley can only be traded, and I'm just running this off the top of my head. I think Bradley can only be traded for one-to-one player. He can't be involved with a trade package or trade Bradley for picks. Like, if there's very specific trades bringing him into Tobias Harris I mean, and impeding their ability to facilitate a trade with these new guys. He is a free agent. So I think Lou Williams, Lou Williams obviously gone. Danny Jordan's obviously gone. Like, this team's yep. not going to be contending. The question is, how much are they going to be willing to sort of, or how deep into the trade deadline are they willing to to listen to offers before they just pull one off? Mm-hmm. Because I obviously, when you're a GM from any other team, you know that they're desperate. You know that they want anything, and if you just mm-hmm. throw in maybe a first-round pick next year in there, it might just say, all right, whatever, we'll do yeah. it plus this yeah. player and this player. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't think they're done. I mean, go back to Avery Badley quickly. He's a free agent at the end of the year. So what's the point of keeping them, so to speak. They're not really going to compete this year if they get rid of yeah, DeAndre I mean, and that's Luke. Why they want it, no, but get that's why they wanted him, yeah. Just like, like, we're like, talking about tanking. That's a team that has to tank. Well, just like point. thinking of need, like the Cleveland Cavaliers' biggest issue come the season before the Kevin Love injury, obviously, was um, you know lack of defense, especially on the and, perimeter. And, and a guy like Avery Bradley is like that like ideal guy that they could get but I don't think the Cav- Cavaliers would be interested they in making a trade. They need rim protection too, Brandon. Rim well, protection. Well, we'll go on this topic a bit later, um, but I just don't, I don't know, like I don't think it makes any sense for the Cleveland Cavaliers to make any sort of trade right now concerning Kevin Love went down and their playoff hopes kind of are wait, dashed wait, with Love wait, out. Wait, you think that the Cavs shouldn't make a trade? They're going to make a trade. They have to make a trade. I'm not saying they're not well, going to. I'm going saying it doesn't now. make much sense to do it right now. Alrighty, moving down the list. Last season, New Orleans Pelicans shocked the NBA world by acquiring four-time NBA All-Star DeMarcus Cousins from the Sacramento Kings. After a rough end to last season, the Pelicans have started to gel, specifically within the last couple weeks, um, within the last month and a half. Conventional wisdom would state that for a team to succeed in the modern climate of the NBA, a team needs to emphasize floor spacing, three-point shooting, speed, quickness, especially positionless basketball. However, the Pelicans went against the grain and constructed a roster built around two bigs. 
Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, obviously Anthony Davis. However, last week Cousins tore his left Achilles tendon, ruling him out for the remainder of the season. Greg, can the Pelicans still make a playoff push without Boogie? Who needs to step up to alleviate the loss of Boogie? You can. And Graf, and I'm going to throw it to you afterwards. Can you talk about uh, his, I guess, contract issues next year? Is he going to get a max? Is is someone going to throw him that money? There's no replacement for DeMarcus Cousins. He's the best big man in the world. Uh, You know what was, because I've, as our listeners know, I've been following the Pelicans. I love how they flipped conventional wisdom and went with the two bigs. I will also argue that they don't play conventional big basketball. They have those guys operating on the on the perimeter. They're playmakers. But yeah, like the idea that that two bigs uh, is where you wrap your, up your money in instead of the wing. It's what uh, the Pistons just did. Yeah, right. No, but those two are not the same as exactly. uh, as these two. And let me tell you. The last game of the year where Boogie went down, okay, they were beating up on Houston, a fully healthy Houston team, and they were beating up on them exactly like we said they would because they were too big and too strong. It was always just alley-oops, alley-oops. It was easy for them, Mm -hmm. okay? This is the Houston Rockets, okay? That team was 27-21. and That last play of the game, DeMarcus Cousins had just made a couple plays to win the game. He shoots a free throw, goes and makes the extra hustle play, and blows out his Achilles. In in the precise moment when I'm watching them and saying, yo, these guys are legit. Like, they, they could beat Houston in a seven-game series because Houston has no answer. Well, they're 27-21-6 in the West at that point. It's just, it's heartbreaking. They've got a couple more wing pieces? Man. Well, just the Achilles injury. Like, DeMarcus Cousins, like, just a man of that size and kind of coming back from that. Like, we've seen it before. You know, what happened to Kobe Bryant when he came back from his Achilles injury was a shell of himself. Same thing with Wesley Matthews. This isn't an injury, like, you, you can bounce back from next year. This is catastrophic when it comes to, like, just your ability to be on the court and be at full speed. And maximize your potential. I yeah. don't think we're ever going to see the boogie cousins we kind of going to custom do. Like, I don't think, as a question I was kind of throwing at Graffin, I don't think he's going to get a max contract. I don't think teams are going to be that, like, do you see him getting a max contract next year? I do. I think the Pelicans are going really? to be the ones because they can they can offer him that super max. But now it, they would can? you Would you offer someone that just blew an Achilles? 41 million over five? Like 41 per year over five? If you're the New Orleans Pelicans, I mean, look what they had built up until he went down. They were just sort of sort of getting into the swing of things. Last year, honestly, to me, doesn't really count. You only no, get a quarter of yeah. a season or a third of a season. To build chemistry uh, and Exactly. It's no. just like a Baca with the Raptors. It's such a weird like lineup, too. Exactly. It's the first time it's been done. They had a summer to work on it. And this year, look at their record. They were more than a playoff team. I don't know. I, I for With them, all those injuries too. Sorry. For them, what they, from what I've heard out of their side of it is that they're trying to save money right now, and that's one of the reasons why they're not picking up Miritich's contract in that whole blown trade that just happened. Yeah. That- so basically, the reason why they don't want they didn't do it in the end is because they're not picking up his contract for next year, and the reason for that is because they're trying to save up enough money to re-sign Boogie. Mm-hmm. So I think yes, if one team is willing to go all in and go super max, then that means every other team already knows what sort of the you know the bottom line is, and you have to go max in order to get him. So I could see a team reaching be on the Pelicans and yeah I think he is going to be a max player he like Greg says he's the best center in the league and he's shown that he's still effective in a shooting type of game where he can transition his game he's a good exactly he can shoot he can post up he's not slow he's a good playmaker I'm not too concerned about this injury because it's also his first major injury ever it's one of those fluke injuries right he's not an injury even look bad but like you know I think and you guys were saying this like it's his that with that injury it's like you can come back from any injury with the exception maybe of this one, like any, you know, you always say for athletes, be on your toes, right? Be on your toes, be ready to react. And and that's your Achilles working, 
right? With such a massive guy. La- depends on lateral quickness and foot speed. Especially. Well, yeah, just to be able to be on your toes and be, you know, on the balls of your feet. And with such a massive guy with so much weight on his body, you wonder. But hopefully modern science and if he sticks to it, like, I've been rooting for this guy, man. So it was... That was tough to see. No, that's all right there. You know what I mean? Like, one of the few guys in the NBA that I actually root for that's on the Toronto Raptors, Boogie Cousins is that guy. And I'd love to see him come back in full form next season. Talking. So, sorry, just quickly, he can get five year 175. So he can get 35 million 35. per year. That's the max he can get. Would you pay him it? I would if I was. If I, they're going to retain Davis. Uh, yeah, I, I like what I they're doing. I think they have to sign Cousins to that max contract just to encourage Davis to stay in New Orleans in the first place. Like, if they don't bring back Cousins, why would Davis want to be part of this organization moving forward? Like, what improvements have they made since he came in the league as a number one overall pick? Yeah, if you don't resign Cousins, then you got to trade Davis. The key for them is going to be just building up through the draft internally so that well, those pieces but, around well, those trade their draft picks every single fucking season. Well, so if, I they, don't if they make, but if they fall out of the playoff contention, then they could get a, a nice draft pick too so maybe it could all work out for them in the long run that's if they still have their their draft picks maybe they gave it away to sacramento like everyone yeah <laughs> yeah like everybody else so sacramento could destroy more basketball players lives basketball yeah. purgatory basketball purgatory Alrighty, guys moving into another discussion of a recent injury kevin love of the cleveland cavalier suffered a non-displaced fracture of the fifth metacarpal on his left hand during tuesday's game against the detroit pistons uh guess the cleveland cavaliers are in basketball news or on a buzz behind the team because drama. of drama of a potential trade uh to guess bring back relevance to basketball in cleveland um Guys, do you think Cleveland should make? Is still going to make a trade even with Kevin Love? Are they are they are they going to be delusional and still think they can make the playoffs or win the championship? Are they going oh, to trade the, the Brooklyn pick? What is going to happen? They're going to make team? the playoffs. Get to the second round. Uh, well, the assumption would be that Kevin Love will come back for, uh, in time for the playoffs, though, right? Two is two months, four to six weeks. Yep. So he'll be back. It's just a matter of sustaining until then. And they can't trade him. Yeah. So they look. They still need rim protection, and they still need some some good perimeter defense. So maybe the Clippers are will be a nice dance partner. Maybe Kevin Love not being in the locker room will get everybody else gelling. There you go, right? <laughs> that camaraderie. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you have a core just defensively. They can just have better looking sets. Like I, I, one of the biggest issues of Kevin Love this season was his life. He's a liability. At kind of five. on the defensive side of the ball as a five, as a rim protector. Maybe him off the court, the team will just gel better defensively. Yeah, I, I never saw him as a five. It seemed like they were just trying to match what the Warriors were doing. But, like, Kevin Love, again, he doesn't have, like, like the length. He's a, actually not a bad, like, quick foot defender, right? I remember that clip of him locking down Curry on the perimeter mm-hmm. in the finals. But it's his rim protection that isn't at all, like, what you need in the modern NBA. I, I think that they might try to go and get a guy like DeAndre Jordan. Um and yeah, they, if they could do something with Jordan and Bradley, bring in those two guys, that 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 would help them. I still don't think that puts them over the top. I think they need to trade that draft pick to really get an impact player to put them over the top. But they won't do that, of course, because of the Le- LeBron James saga. Which is just, I mean, I would love to say I feel sorry for Cleveland, no. but I don't at all. No. Like, again, they've put themselves in this position. LeBron put them in this position. Well, Dan Gilbert, really. I, yeah. To me, it's the owner. It, it all permeates down for, this is what Jack was talking about in the interview, yeah. right? It, good organizations permeate from the top down. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I just think that they're, first of all, Dan Gilbert apparently is the one running the show. Colby Altman is not even really, uh, mm-hmm. his first year GM, he's basically just a puppet. Mm. Uh, if that's the case, and there's already tension between him and LeBron, uh, again, I'm a firm believer he's leaving next year and that 
if he is leaving next year, they almost can't trade the pick. You no, have exactly. To- no, no. If you think he's leaving, you don't trade the pick. What I would try to do is try to sell a part of the team to LeBron, make him the first player, player owner, you know, like the player coach. Well, look, like, the, that's the only way you're going to keep him. It's the only way. And look, they lost to the Pistons last night. Who didn't, oh. have, who didn't have any other players because of the trade, and they still lost. It, it's not looking good. Uh, put it this way. Two weeks ago on the podcast, I was saying, oh, Cleveland, let's 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 yeah. not worry about them. I'm starting to have red flags. Uh, put up the red flag now and say, you know what? Like There actually is an issue with this team, and they got to sort it out. they got to figure it out, and Kevin Love being out might be the answer, or it might just put them even further down in the standings. Keeping up with the theme of injuries, Washington Wizards point guard John Wall is expected to miss six to eight weeks because of an ongoing issue with his left knee. Uh, Wall will undergo an arthroscopic debridement procedure Wednesday to clean up the bothersome area at the Cleveland Clinic's Marymount Hospital in Ohio. Um, He should be out for, uh, what is it, six to eight weeks, unfortunately. Yes, is there, is, are there any comments? Like, do you, do you think like Bradley Beal can steer the ship in the right direction? Um, what is John Wall's no. outlook moving forward? The guys have surgery on both knees. I think on multiple occasions as well. Well, he hasn't looked like himself this season when you watch him play. He's missing, I think, an element of, of dynamism. He's still young enough that he'll get another few seasons of out of him in his prime but he's got to perfect his outside shot that's always been a knock on him when you're a player like that like a like such a great athlete you can get by in your development with just beating guys off the dribble you know your first step is quicker but as you get older you need to get that shot um in the short term the wizards are gonna have a tough time their bench is not strong i don't i mean beal could Beal's a, a good scorer i don't know if he's enough though i mean they beat the thunder but I think that was just a fluke. I think um, the Wizards just have such a horrendous front court. Like Marcin Gortat, you know, no, Mikey yeah, Weiss, they're not going to get it done. You know, John Wall, like you were saying before, isn't the dynamic, athletic. You know, they don't like each other. Like they don't, they don't have that 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 chemistry. The where, like, body language on the bench is kind of shitty. Like they don't AAU really use seem... superstar babies. Yeah. Well, last night <laughs> the, f- the guy with the fourth largest minutes on the team was Thomas Sadoransky. He's their starting point guard, man. He's Who? St- Thomas Sadoransky. He's their the, oh. the, Czech, the Czech wonder, we'll call him. I don't know. He's a 6'7 point guard, so he's like a, uh, a, right. a, you know, he's somewhat decent. But he's right now getting 30 minutes a night. And he's going to be doing that for the next, what, like you said, six to eight weeks? I'm surprised Frazier's not getting any starts, though. Frazier plays way better, I find. Except last night, he went 15 minutes and got no points. If only they so still he's had a Brandon hit or miss Jennings. sort of player as well. So, again, if you look the at where they are in Brandon the standings Jennings. right now, they're in fifth. They're 28 and 22. But the teams behind them, the Bucks, the Pacers, the 76ers, yeah. are all knocking yeah. at the door. Yeah. In this six to eight weeks, I can see them dropping f- pretty far. Them and Cleveland, man, they could end. Cleveland and, and Washington could end up no home court in the first round. Yep. How crazy would that and be? And then when Jabari Parker coming back, the Heat playing well, I can see them yeah. staying up top. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, these next six to eight weeks, these injuries are going to make things just that much more interesting, I think. Yep. And also, keeping up with the theme of NBA injuries, uh, another has integral piece to an organization. Point guard Mike Conley of the Memphis Grizzlies will miss the uh, the rest of the season. He'll undergo season-ending surgery to smooth a small bone protrusion in his left heel. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a quick question for you guys. Like, where do the Grizzlies go? 
no idea. You know, like, Down. Oddly, it's so yeah. weird because I've, I've ne- they have two aging stars in Marcus Saul and Conley, and they have no blue chip prospects. They have the massive Chandler Parsons contract, and oh. there just isn't that next guy. Like, you look at the Toronto Raptors. I know we don't have that, like, quintessential, like, young, up-and-coming superstar, but we have, you know, Jack was talking about it, five, six guys off the bench who are relatively young who could become part of the rotation yeah, for pieces. the Raptors. You envision pieces. them in the future. Exactly. Dylan I don't Brooks. See- you don't, I, I don't. A fan of Dylan Brooks. I just don't see the Grizzlies having anybody, like anybody in the cupboard. The cupboard is bare. Uh, I just, what should this team be doing moving forward? Like, should they be doing everything they can right now to trade Marcus All? Well, look, if you can yes. get value back, right? Like, because he's only going to de- uh, depreciate in value if you look at him from an. But is it important to get value or just to get rid of the contract, similar to what the LA Clippers did? With well, no, but both, right? Like, get rid of the contract, and in the process, you're going to get some picks, maybe or something, because they're going to bottom out. They're going to have a high draft pick, right? If you can go and get, a- especially now that Connolly's out, yeah, they're already what two games I think up were, from being in yeah, last place. I would be trying to flip Gasol for that pick, that Brooklyn pick. I mean, I'm sure if you're Cleveland, would you do that though? Eh. See, that's the thing is it's it's so that, hard because they know that they want to get rid of Gasol. Like they know that they're in that they're, tricky position where they're yeah. so like they're last night. Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans led the team in scoring last night with 27 points for them. What do you think they could get for Tyreek Evans? Out of curiosity, I think we uh, quite should, a bit I because I think try to get him. I agree. He's one of the players. I think the Raptors. Be well, beyond the Raptors, like just just generally, <laughs> we're, we're generally speaking, hard here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, but if he's going to come to the Toronto Raptors, like we we don't have a pick this year. Like, what sort of protections would a team have to put on a pick to bring in a guy like Tyreek Evans? Maybe like like a little top ten protected, top fifteen, top twenty. I can see the 76ers as a team that would go after someone. They like are that. rumored. They are rumored. They are to rumored. Be going okay, after so him. I can see them being someone that would go after him and giving up their pick. What about the Pistons? Because they're right like, around. I, I the talked mid, about them not having a shooting guard. Like it would make sense the Pistons going after a guy like Tyreek Evans. I know the big rumor right now is Rodney Hood going to the Detroit Pistons, but Tyreek Evans could make sense. They wouldn't as well. be able to resign him. They don't have any cap space. Right, that's the mm. issue. Is that it's all wrapped up in those three like pseudo stars. And do you think a first round pick is? enough as it is because who else can the Pistons give up they don't really have any other trade assets beyond that pick right so I don't know if if you're Philadelphia at least there's a few things you can sort of work in there I guess Mm -hmm. you don't even have to trade a pick you can almost like would you trade like Saric or like something like that to help you get over the edge right now a rookie player to get sort of a veteran would you trade Markel Fultz for Tyreek Evans yes I would if If I were the 76ers from what I've seen from his shot yes I would 100% biggest bust biggest bust in NBA history that's incredible. That is absolutely <laughs> incredible. Alrighty, guys, thank you very much for listening. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Again, you can catch us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Have a fantastic rest of your week and peace out, Toronto! 0.2 seconds to go!